The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthCare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome and thank you for joining us today on C. diff, spores, and more global broadcasting network. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about the products keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash Radio. Today we welcome our guest, Dr. Derek J. Anderson, MD, Director of Duke Center for Antimicrobial Stewardship and Infection Prevention, Associate Professor of Medicine, Division of Infectious Diseases. Here to discuss UV intervention, addressing C. difficile, and other pathogens. At this time, I would like to welcome Dr. Anderson to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Anderson. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, we're really grateful to have you here today. And we want to also um, begin the program by congratulating you on your recent APIC Recognition 2016 Distinguished Scientist Award. Well, thank you very much. It was an honor to receive it. Well, I'm sure it is. And we're just really happy for you. And we, you know, we want to ask you at this time if you wouldn't mind sharing a little background for the global listeners um, and tell us how did you become interested in infectious disease? Well, to try and keep this the story as short as possible, because it could be a long one, I guess, if, if we needed it to be. Um, it's actually a topic that I've been interested in probably for most of my life, even in high school. My I was one of those nerds who did their, uh, you know, science project on uh, the amount of bacteria in, um, in clinics and things like that. So the topic of uh, the issue of, uh, you know, contracting an infection while you're receiving health care has always been one that's fascinated me. Um, and as I've gotten more deeply into it, I uh, certainly have become increasingly interested in, uh, in ways of preventing those infections from happening as a way to try and, you know, generally improve the quality of care that we uh, provide for patients. Well, we're so glad that you did. And we know that over the years, the infectious disease and infections in general have changed greatly, haven't they? Oh, of course. There's, they've changed greatly, and I'm sure that they will continue to do so as we move forward. Exactly. And advancing into the BETRD study, which is a landmark study in the evaluation of room disinfection methods, would you mind sharing with us about the general conclusions of that study? Oh, of course. This study, um, which we call the Better Disinfection Study, and that stands for the Benefits benefits of Enhanced Terminal Room Disinfection. Um, the Better D study is a study that is the first study that's been performed uh, using multiple hospitals in a, a randomized controlled study, a randomized controlled trial to try and look at the impact of different cleaning strategies on patient outcomes. And to jump right to the point, what we found is that the use of enhanced terminal room disinfection strategies actually did decrease the amount of um, acquisition and infection uh, among patients um, for bad bugs such as MRSA uh, and VRE. And so I think it's worth noting, what does it mean when we talk about an enhanced terminal room strategy? What we're talking about is is moving beyond our simple method where we use quaternary ammonia disinfectants to strategies that add something like a UV light, which I know we'll talk about more, 
or uh, changing from the uh, the quaternary dis- quaternary ammonia disinfectant or a quat to a bleach um, for patient rooms. And so we found that in general the strategies decreased the uh, amount of acquisition, and the strategy that decreased it the most was when we added these UV lights to our standard approach with the quats. Amazing. And doctor, um, would this be specifically um, a a global problem? And would this benefit um, the healthcare environment in all the communities? Well, I certainly think so. And the reason I say that is because we know, of course, that uh, these drug-resistant pathogens, MRSA, VRE, Acinetobacter, and C. difficile are, are happening worldwide. So I think that it is certainly a very fair statement to say that the, you know these, this is a global issue. And so if you can find a, an intervention that can help improve the outcomes related to these kinds of uh, infections, then yes, those, that's a strategy that could potentially be used um, across the globe, across the, the world is in the different places that uh, healthcare is provided. So perhaps putting put more specifically, you know, hospital rooms have to be cleaned in between patients, you know, regardless of where you receive your care. And what we're suggesting from our study is that our standard approach uh, probably needs to be improved, um, especially when we think that one of these bad bugs uh, may be present. Okay. And doctor, what did your study show exactly about C. diff infections? C. diff is an interesting one because it was a surprising result. At the beginning of our study, we actually, uh, all, all of our study um, participants and the, the organizers believed that we were actually going to see the biggest changes in patients that, uh, in acquisition of C. difficile. And what we found surprised us because our assumption ended up not being correct. That is, we actually did not see as much of a change in the rates of C. difficile as we did with, which is, of course, a spore-forming organism. Yes, your audience knows that quite well, I'm sure, uh, as opposed to our vegetative bacteria like MRSA and VRE. Now, I should add some level of detail to that comment because our primary outcome for our study was looking very, very specifically at the next patient in the room. So, for example, a patient that had MRSA leaves a room, and then we were looking to see what outcomes happened to the very next patient that followed that patient. So if we use that approach, we found really no difference in the rate of C. difficile acquisition when we compared our standard approach versus adding the UV machine. On the other hand, when we kind of expanded our analysis to more of the entire hospital, so we're using these strategies in specific rooms, and in our study, we use them in contact precaution rooms, which is about 10 to 15% of the total number of rooms in the hospital. Uh, Just using them in that small group actually improved the overall rate of C. difficile acquisition. Now, this was just an observation. This was not what you would call, you know, your primary outcome, but it was certainly what we 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 can certainly consider it to be an important outcome, as we think that uh, as a result we can feel that we are in fact making some improvement in C. difficile, especially when we look more at the uh, the the larger picture of C. difficile acquisition uh, uh, using these strategies. Okay, doctor. Well, thank you so much. And we're already going to pause for a commercial break here. And when we return, we will continue learning more about UV intervention, addressing C. difficile and other pathogens with Dr. Deverick J. Anderson. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the 4th Annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. 
because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 1-844-4C-DIFF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. It is a pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Derek J. Anderson, MD, Director Duke Center for Antimicrobial Stewardship and Infection Prevention, Associate Professor of Medicine, Division of Infectious Diseases. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Anderson. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to pick up where we left off and ask you, did the mercury UV device utilized in the study have any impact on C. diff rates when adding the bleach cleaning? So the answer is a mixed answer. And the real answer then becomes it depends on how you analyze the information. And so in our study, when we look at our specific primary outcome, we were very focused on the very next patient that came into the room. So we defined what were called seed rooms. That is to say, someone that came into a room that we had a high suspicion or even confirmed that they had one of our target pathogens, and those were MRSA, VRE, C. difficile, or multidrug resistant acinetobacter. And so once we identified a seed room, we looked for the very next patient and what happened with that patient. And when you look at that very next patient in the room, adding UV light to bleach terminal disinfection did not change the rates of C. difficile infection. If you move to a more macro level, so if you look at all of the patients that come into the hospital, Again, using the same intervention, we actually did see that the rate of C. difficile decreased by about 11% when we looked at all of the patients in the hospital while we were focusing, uh, while we were using UV light. And so to be more clear about that, we were only using UV light in a subgroup of rooms. And so the rooms where we knew someone had C. difficile, we would use UV and bleach in those rooms. And so that's probably anywhere between 10 to 15% of the rooms in, in a hospital. And even though that was a small subgroup of patient rooms, we found that regardless of where you were admitted, the risk of C. difficile was subsequently decreased. And again, in our study, the number that goes with it is about an 11% decrease. That number is actually pretty consistent. Uh, and if you look, use our analysis compared to a few other papers that have been published on the exact same topic, uh, our number is a little bit lower, but it's worth noting that uh, ours is also the only randomized controlled trial that's out there. The other studies that showed a decrease using 
UV light, um, you, showed a decrease in C. difficile using UV light were what we call, you know, before-after studies where you've got a, a period of uh, measurement, you put in an intervention, and then you see what happens. And those are, um, uh, those will tend to overestimate the impact of these kinds of interventions. So we think ours, because of its randomized nature, is probably a little closer to the truth and what could be expected when you use these kinds of technologies. Well, that's really wonderful to know, too. And, Doctor, how do you feel about UV as an infection prevention tool? Well, I certainly am really interested in it, obviously, you know, having completed this study. I think that before our study, uh, it was an interesting tool that we weren't entirely sure what to do with. That is, there have been a handful of studies out there that, you know, on Early on, we know that you can use UV light and kill germs or kill bacteria. And then increasingly, we saw studies where a single hospital would start using a device and then notice that their rates had decreased. And in what we will call, you know, like the uh, evidentiary hierarchy, so what we use to kind of determine uh, how strong the evidence is, those are kind of lower on that hierarchy. And so it's hard to know what exactly to do with those. And so I think the good news is with our study, we have a, a, a rigorous randomized trial that demonstrates there's value in using these. And so I think it is an important uh, tool to add uh, when we think about ways we can prevent these infections from happening. And so all nine of the study hospitals that participated, including our own here at Duke University, have uh purchased these types of machines to continue to use, even though the study, of course, has completed at this point. And so we think it is a valuable tool. We note, however, that there is not as simple as just buying one of these machines. There were many lessons learned in how to actually use these machines uh, during the course of our study. And so we would, uh, while we think that these are reasonable investments, we would certainly caution hospitals and that they really do need to have a good plan in place to use them effectively if they really are hoping to, planning on getting results from these types of technologies and these types of devices. Interesting. And thanks so much for sharing that, Doctor. And would you um, recommend acute care facilities to pursue UV as an intervention? I think that um, based on our study results, that that would be a, that is a reasonable recommendation. So yes, when people ask me, I say uh, I'm a believer because of the study that we performed and its randomized uh, uh, study design. That I think it's reasonable data to support the use of these kinds of devices. Now, typically, if you want to move from you know recommendations like that to things that end up in guidelines, they'll often require more than one of these kinds of studies. I don't know if that'll happen or not, uh, and so I'm not sure if these will if that kind of recommendation would ever find itself into a specific guideline. But certainly when people ask me that question, I, my answer is affirmative. I think that they should, uh, that hospitals should pursue using these uh, to try and help improve their terminal room disinfection. Okay. And doctor, now that the research has determined that UB disinfection, is it true that it did not have an impact on C. diff or MRSA? So would it be recommended to hospitals to address these pathogens? Well, I think it's worth, you know, a couple of things come to mind. And so on the one hand, I, you know, my sense in looking out our data is that there is ultimately some level of impact on C. difficile. And I think that there was some level of impact on MRSA as well. So I think this is part of our approach to trying to improve those. But it's certainly not the only thing that hospitals need to pursue. And so, uh, you know, just thinking very, you know, kind of big picture for a moment, uh, it will always remain the case that hospitals need to uh, develop and implement strategies to prevent the transmission of these kinds of pathogens on healthcare workers' hands. And so hand hygiene remained uh, a key intervention to decrease the spread of C. difficile and MRSA. 
And I don't think that there's any, you know, our study does not change that. And if anything, it just, we're adding to the idea that hand hygiene and, and disinfection are important strategies. I think it's worth mentioning one other strategy, though, that really has become, that really has emerged over the last few years, and that's the idea of using what we call antimicrobial stewardship. That is the improved or better utilization of the antibiotics, or put another way, making sure that when we use antibiotics that they are necessary and that we don't unnecessarily use antibiotics and therefore increase the amount of resistance and C. difficile that we see. So again, to, to speak directly about C. difficile, we think that the biggest risk factor, you know, you can go down risk factors one, two, three, four, and five, and all of them are antibiotic use. And so if we can curtail our antibiotic use and only give antibiotics to those that need it, we won't eliminate C. diff, but we will certainly reduce C. diff. And so I think hospitals that are tackling C. diff and MRSA and other drug-resistant pathogens need to have good hand hygiene, need to have, I think, based on our study, improved methods for room disinfection. And then for their third strategy, these hospitals also need to improve the antibiotic use. And the way to do that is through antimicrobial uh, stewardship. Absolutely. And doctor, we couldn't agree with you more. And thank you so much for stressing that important information to our global listeners. And right now we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue learning more about UV intervention, addressing C. difficile and other pathogens with Dr. Anderson. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the C. Diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing. Number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to C. Diff Spores and More. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. Diff Spores and More, a global broadcasting network. And we welcome back our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Derek J. Anderson, MD. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Anderson. Thank you. No, well, thank you. And Dr. Anderson, we were discussing the disinfecting before the commercial, and we want to know, should there be a standard of disinfecting, such as adding bleach to the standard quaternary ammonium cleaning that proved to reduce the, re- the risk of transmission of all four pathogens that were studied, the MRSA, VRE, MDR, and C. difficile? I don't think that we need to change the current strategy for the disinfection disinfectant chemical. 
Um, I think based on the results of our study, I think that using a quat or a quaternary ammonium uh, is sufficient as long as we then add a UV device to it. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that when we talk about our standard approach, we distinguish between the use of a quat in the vast majority of rooms, but we do have as part of our standard approach the use of bleach for C. difficile rooms, and that is part of our standard approach. And so if you take both of those strategies as your standard, I think the biggest impact based on our study was seen when we had a UV light added to that. So if it were an MRSA room, we would clean it with with quat and UV light. If it were a C. diff room, we would clean it with bleach and a UV light. And using that hospital-wide strategy, we, we did see a decrease in the rates of these infections. I think it is. this may be a good point to mention, however, that when we talk about cleaning, certainly one of the important parts of that is how thoroughly we use these chemical disinfectants and the thoroughness of cleaning. Um, I think part of the background for why these kinds of enhanced strategies like UV light and hydrogen peroxide and others, why these have come to the fore is because there is the idea, and certainly this has been borne out in some studies that have been published, that oftentimes you know, important surfaces in these hospital rooms are missed as part of the this cleaning process. And so if you enhance them, you're adding it's almost like adjunct therapy. Uh, you're cleaning as best you can, but then making sure that if you missed anything, one of these technologies can help uh, make sure that, that whatever was missed ends up getting treated too. So in our study, that ended up not being a very big issue because we ensured that the thoroughness of cleaning was high and it was consistent across the across the study. But I think for the the general hospital that is trying to tackle this issue, one of the key things for that hospital to focus on is how well they are actually using their chemical disinfectant. As there are a couple of various ways to try and objectively identify how well these chemicals can get used. And certainly as part of this whole idea, this notion of you know improving the cleaning that we provide in hospitals, having an objective measurement of cleaning is an important component of that. This, a subjective approach where you just walk into a room and say, yeah, that looks clean, is just not going to cut it anymore. And so we recommend that uh, hospitals that work with us and certainly the hospitals that participated in our study uh, used objective ways to measure how well they were cleaning their rooms. Okay, and Dr. can you discuss the outcomes shown in the study with VRE and the multidrug resistance MDR acetinobacter? Of course. So the the last one is easier. The MDR acinetobacter is easy because I can't say very much about it. In our entire study, there was only one outcome related to multidrug-resistant acinetobacter, and so not much to say there. For the VRE, um, we found that we actually saw some differences in VRE in our bleach arms as well. And so essentially, regardless of which strategy we use, so quats and UV, bleach alone, or bleach and UV, the rates of VRE were down in all three of those strategies. And the biggest decrease was was seen in bleach by itself or bleach plus UV. Uh, And so VRE was one of the organisms that we saw some of the bigger decreases in. And that's important because not every hospital has big problems with VRE, but on the other hand, certainly it is one of those organisms that crops up from time to time in most places and then in some settings and probably more specific to the larger tertiary care centers, in some settings, you can see quite a bit of VRE. Uh, And that's probably more related to the types of patients that end up getting admitted into those centers. But yes, largely a positive result for VRE that regardless of which strategy we use, we saw it go down, saw the rates go down with the biggest decrease in the rates when we used bleach or bleach and UV. Well, that's really good to know, and I'm sure our global listeners are very excited to hear some good news about the VRE decrease with the study that you did. So thank you so much for sharing that. And, Dr., can you explain to our global listeners what a seed room is that was in your study? Of course. It's an important definition to know uh, because it really is a key component of how we looked at the data for our primary analysis. A seed, we defined a seed room as any room uh, into which a patient with known 
MRSA, VRE, C. diff, or multidrug-resistant acinetobacter entered. And so if, you know, if John Doe walked into room one and had an MRSA infection, then that became a seed room. Now, we did actually expand that definition so that we looked to see if John Doe had had his MRSA in the past several months. And if that were the case, we would still count that as a seed room because we know that patients that have had MRSA or any of, any of these MDR, any of these multidrug-resistant pathogens will continue to have those pathogens uh, for some time. And so once the room was defined as a seed room, our key focus then became the very next patient. And so then we moved from what we called a seed room to an exposed uh, room or seed patient to an exposed patient. And for our primary objective, our main analysis looked at what exactly happened with that very next patient that came into the room. Now, we did have to be sure that we excluded some of those patients because you could imagine uh, we didn't want to include patients that just by chance came into that room, maybe, you know, Jane Doe came in after John Doe and had MRSA. That seems like that would probably be important unless the patient already had, unless Jane Doe already had MRSA. If that were the case, then we wouldn't think that that MRSA was related to the room exposure. It was more likely to be related to the MRSA she had had before. So we applied a few exclusion criteria to make sure that when we were trying to make uh, our conclusions and really connect the dots that the exposure of interest was really exposure to the room specifically. Okay. And Dr. are isolation rooms, the only rooms that we should be treating with UV? Well, that's a a really good question. And the answer is at this point, I don't know. Um, Certainly in our study, that was the, those were the types of rooms that we focused on. And so certainly as a starting point, uh, those are rooms we think that these kinds of technologies should be used in. But it certainly leads to the follow-up questions of what other rooms might need to be uh, included in, in these kinds of strategies. And so we have at least kicked around the idea of using these kinds of technologies in uh, you know, I, other high-risk areas like ICU rooms, um, uh, hemonc wards and cancer wards and, and places like that. But at this point, it's really just been, you know, kind of some speculation about where these things might also work. We've not been able to, to do any additional studies to look in those types of settings. In our discussions with other colleagues across the country, when I mean, we've had other thoughts about, you know, maybe you could use these rooms and hemo, use these machines in hemodialysis wards or in emergency rooms and uh, surgical suites and things like that. I think there are a lot of those kinds of settings where it would be interesting to know if these kinds of technologies work. But for the time being, certainly we don't know enough about their use in those settings to to say that we should be using them uh, outside of isolation rooms. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. And Dr. Anderson, at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue our discussion on UV intervention addressing C. difficile and other pathogens. And we ask you to stay tuned. We'll be right back after these brief commercial messages. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the 4th Annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. 
the CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 1-844-4-C-DIF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more global broadcasting network. We welcome our listeners joining us today. And it's a pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Derek J. Anderson, MD, here to discuss UV intervention, addressing C. difficile and other pathogens. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Anderson. Great, thank you. You're welcome. And Dr. Anderson, we have been discussing the disinfection of isolation rooms, and we want to move on with the UV disinfection. Right now, the marketplace seems quite robust at this time. Do you see several hospitals um, have published studies about their C. diff infection rates reducing the utilization um, with using pulsed xenon UV? Do you have any plans to evaluate pulsed xenon UV? From our group, we don't have plans to evaluate the pulsed xenon approach. To to take a step back and comment on the, the marketplace, I think that it is actually a really good thing that the, the marketplace is increasingly robust. I think at this point there are upwards of, I don't know, maybe even five or six, if not more, companies that are trying to get into this market. And I think that's a good thing for, for us as the consumers uh, because I'm at least will be optimistic that that thing is going to help, that competition is going to help drive down some prices to make these machines increasingly uh, accessible. Uh, I think uh, then speaking to the types of machines that are out there, most of them are the mercury-based UVC uh, emitting devices. And then there's one company that does have a unique approach with the pulsed xenon. And uh, more or less, these are probably equivalent technologies. There may be some differences based on the way that they get used. And the one study that's been published that really put them head-to-head, there was some increased um, killing with the use of the UVC machine, the mercury, as compared to the xenon. But I think probably in the big picture, you know, the idea is that we think that the UV machine, a UV machine should be used. Again, you can get into a lot of additional details about uh, how they get used, and some of them have sensors, and some of them you have to get in and move them around and put them in different parts of the room. And so there are differences between the machines. Um, we, we were not specifically with our program, excuse me, yeah, with our research program going into additional studies on the UV device um, for terminal clean. Uh, we were going to move to some other areas from there. But there are, of course, others, I think, that are using these machines. There may be some other trials that come out in the near future that are using the different types of machines out there. And again, in the big picture, that's a good thing. We'd like to get as much uh, experience uh, about these machines published so that when we make decisions about their use and where and how to use them, we'll, we'll have more information to use to make those decisions. Exactly. And thank you, Doctor. And Doctor, where do you see your research going from here? Well, this study was funded by the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, here in the U.S., um, and uh, as part of 
their Prevention Epicenters program. And we were fortunate enough to have that grant renewed this year to do additional studies uh, in, the env- in the area of environmental disinfection. And, of course, the main idea behind the prior study and, and some additional studies that went with it where the focus was on terminal room disinfection. Again, the idea of cleaning a room between uh, patients. What we're looking to focus on for the next series of studies are various technologies and strategies to improve the cleaning that happens while a patient is in the room. Uh, Because you could imagine if all you do is focus on terminal clean, that's really only one small part of the bigger picture of, of environmental hygiene, if you will. And we know that as a patient, let's say a patient with VRE is in a room, that the longer they stay in the room, then the more likely that room becomes contaminated. And therefore, as patients, excuse me, as healthcare workers come in and out, they can actually be at risk for becoming contaminated with something like VRE and then moving it over to uh, an adjacent patient or some other patient. And so that risk still exists even if we use UV light for terminal clean. And so what can we do to then decrease that risk? And so there are a few strategies and technologies that we're trying to uh, investigate. They're all, I'd say, very early uh, on in the the, uh, evaluation. And so the typical approach we'll we'll use is you know do these work under experimental conditions that is to say if we put a certain amount of bacteria uh, on a surface and we use a device does the, do the number of bacteria go down and if that's uh, affirmative we'll move to what we call you know a real world environment where we would use inoculate inoculate bacteria into a hospital environment Uh, Of course, no patients around, and so we're not exposing patients here, and then using the device in the hospital environment and see if that decreases the amount of contamination. And if that works, we then move to the real world where there are patients and the amount of bacteria that the patients are contaminating the environment with. Compare that, you know, use these devices in some rooms that have it and some rooms that don't, and then see if there's a difference in the amount of contamination that we observe uh, in those rooms. And so we think that after, you know, if you move away from terminal room disinfection, uh, the strategies we need to start focusing on are strategies that are either continuous and constantly causing some amount of uh, disinfection or uh, happen on a daily basis. And so uh, that, that's the area that we'll be focusing on for the next uh, few years. And that's wonderful to know. And Dr., what are your views on UV for portable electronic devices that we utilize in the uh, acute care facilities? Yes, I, uh, I think that it's an interesting topic. Certainly there are some studies out there that suggest that our portable electronic devices are regularly contaminated with important pathogens. Um, and, you know, as you can imagine, if you put a phone up to your face or if you're using your fingers and typing text or whatever, you're going to have bacteria on those kinds of devices. Um, and so I believe that there are at least some reports, if not specific papers out there that suggest that you could use something like a UV device to decrease the amount of bacteria that are present on those. I think it's interesting. I don't know what the clinical impact of that kind of of, um, intervention might be. That is to say, I think those devices are neat, but unless they can feel um, relatively more certain that they make some kind of clinical impact on patients and patient outcomes, I don't know how enthusiastic I am about them. But that's not the only one. There are others out there. I think there are things like UV wands and, you know, ways to eliminate bacteria from keyboards. And I think that the the sky is the limit to some extent in, in kind of where we might see UV find itself as far as an additional strategy for cleaning and disinfecting. Well, thanks for sharing that, doctor. And now I'm going to um, revert back to your infectious disease part and ask you, how can the healthcare community address C. diff colonization and patients without symptoms? That is a tough question uh, (laughs) because I don't think we have a good answer for it right now. Um, I think one of the things that potentially uh, is a factor in our study where, again, when we're looking at very, very specific patients, 
that we didn't see much change in C. difficile. It may very well be that uh, we're incorrect about uh, you know the C. diff transmission being from you know one patient coming into a well, you know known contaminated room. It's conceivable, or at least I'd say one potential interpretation of the data from our study is that that may not be the way that C. diff gets spread, and therefore it may be more related to asymptomatic colonization. Now, again, this is you'll have to excuse me because this is some speculation, of course, but I think it's a, some speculation that is starting to really uh, pique people's interest. That is how much of an impact patients that come into hospitals with asymptomatic colonization really have as far as you know, spread of C. diff and subsequent infection. So as it turns out, actually one of the studies that we'll be doing over the next few studies is going to try and address that, at least to some extent. And um, again, I know that there are other folks, I think, doing a similar kind of work, but uh, just to provide a little additional detail about the study we will try and do is uh, we're going to try and use a more widespread use of bleach disinfection for daily cleaning um, as an attempt to see if that impacts spread and contamination from asymptomatic, uh, asymptomatically colonized patients. Um, and so we'll actually be doing this in a couple of units here at our hospital where we'll screen patients as they come in to see if they have asymptomatic colonization and then uh, clean rooms in a, in a slightly altered strategy. And then basically measure the amount of contamination in that patient's room at the end of their hospital stay uh, and see if, if there's an impact from using something like a daily bleach clean amongst patients that have asymptomatic colonization. We do use daily bleach clean for patients that we know have C. difficile. And so the question is essentially, if you have someone who has asymptomatic C. diff, should you be using the same kind of cleaning strategy as though they were symptomatic? So I think it's a great question. I think it's one that you can go to the major infectious disease meetings uh, that are out there. You know, ID Week will be here in a couple of months in New Orleans, and I can only imagine that there will be top. This will be a topic that is very specifically addressed during some of the sessions there because it is a increasingly becoming a, a very hot topic and one that we're trying to understand much better. Thank you, Doctor. And yes, um, the C. diff community is definitely uh, interested in trying to find out, like, do we treat the patients that are asymptomatic and have been colonized uh, because we are seeing an increase in community-acquired C. diff in the communities? Yes, of course. You're right. And, and you know, again, it, I think it is certainly a topic where we need to learn more about it. In general, certainly the teaching from an infectious disease perspective is that the presence of an organism in and of itself does not mean that a patient will require treatment. Um, and in fact, it will, you know, traditionally speaking, we would only recommend treatment of something like C. difficile if, if there are symptoms that go with it. Um, but who knows, maybe that kind of teaching or that approach ends up getting challenged based on, you know, findings from, from studies that are underway. So I would say my recommendation at this point anyway is that I wouldn't necessarily treat patients that have asymptomatic colonization with C. difficile, uh, though I would hope that uh, we could figure out strategies to be sure that uh, we're improving the both hand hygiene and environmental hygiene that surround that patient. Thank you so much, Doctor. And Doctor, before we close the show today, would you mind just reviewing once again the antibiotic stewardship with our global listeners? Of course. I think that if we think about a, a, a pathogen like C. difficile, when it probably is the best example amongst uh, our multidrug resistant pathogens. There really are a handful of strategies that we can use to try and decrease the spread of these kinds of pathogens and subsequent infection. So as we've been focusing on during this conversation, and I think environmental cleaning and disinfection is one of those strategies, I think as always, things like hand hygiene uh, to prevent the spread on healthcare workers is an important strategy. But I think over the last several years, this last strategy of antimicrobial stewardship is really emerging as one of the key strategies that we have to use if we're going to prevent the move, the, the, the spread of C. difficile. And so again, what that means is uh, hospitals need to have a program, a strategy in place 
where there are ways to monitor the use of antibiotics. That's most typically done using a pharmacist that has some dedicated effort to review antibiotics. And often in some of the bigger hospitals, there is, that pharmacist is coupled with an infectious disease um, specialist. And so they have then, between the two of them, have a program in place where they will uh, have specific interventions and evaluations to try and improve the antibiotic use within the hospital. I think that's where the focus has been thus far. I think, again, because it's increasing of increasing interest, we're seeing the move towards having stewardship in other settings like long-term care facilities and nursing homes and even in outpatient settings as well. Essentially, any place that we use antibiotics, the need for stewardship is there. I think the issue is then just how best to do it in various strategies is not always quite as clear. The last thing perhaps to say on the topic is that, uh, frankly, whether we whether they like it or not, hospitals are going to have to start doing stewardship. Uh, as an example, by the end of this year, I think it may even start January of 17, the Joint Commission will have specific standards. And Joint Commission for the global listeners is a hospital accreditation group here in the United States that reviews the majority of hospitals and kind of provides, you know, quality checks. And their standards are powerful. And hospitals that want to be certified by Joint Commission that will have to meet their requirements. And again, in the very near future, in the next few months, as a a result of their new standards, hospitals will have to have stewardship programs in place uh, to be certified. And so I think that's just one example. There are others. Uh, One example of how this topic has really emerged as an important topic in general for multidrug resistant germs, but I think it is can be very specific to, to C. diff in particular. Exactly. And Dr. Anderson, we can't thank you enough for joining us today and discussing the UV intervention, addressing C. difficile and other pathogens with our global listeners. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Well, it's been ours, and we hope to have you back really soon. And right now, we just want to say that please join us every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, as we discuss up-to-date information with topic experts and company professionals whose focus is C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety products, and much more. Once again, we thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C. diff radio. We send out our get well wishes to all the patients being treated and recovering from C. difficile infections and all wellness draining illnesses across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, and until next week, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. Thank you for joining us this week, and we wish you good health and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.